This morning's reading is taken from 2 Kings, uh, chapter 2. We're reading verses 1 to 14. That's 2 Kings 2, reading from verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the left, right and to the left, and he crossed over. Amen. So today we're going to just start a very short look at the prophet Elisha. It's a tale of ridiculous faith. It's interesting how words change their meaning over time. Nowadays, Many words mean the opposite of what they meant when I was young. Bad used to mean bad. Bad now means good. Sick doesn't really mean what it meant when I was young. It now means good. Ridiculous is kind of like that. It used to mean outlandish in a bad way. 
But now if something is really good, it's ridiculous. And we'll hear that word a few times this morning. First, a little bit of background. Sometimes folks get Elijah and Elisha mixed up. Elijah came first. He was bold and daring and full of faith. He took on the prophets of Baal and beat them. God beat them, but using Elijah. And then we see the story today. Elisha comes along and he wants to be like Elijah. And he was bold enough or even ridiculous enough to say, actually, I want to be twice as good as you. I want to have twice the blessing that you have. Just being like you, just, just doing what you do. Well, that's okay. But actually, I want more. I want twice what God has given you. Elisha actually performs more recorded miracles than anybody else in Scripture except Jesus. And I had kind of thought about focusing on that idea uh, this morning because what struck me was that in Uganda, it seems as if they have that double portion as compared to here in Scotland. They have joy that we just don't at least express. I'm sure we have joy. But they have it in ways that, you know, it's just, it just bubbles out of them. They have faith. They have expectation that God is going to work and that every time the word is preached, people are going to respond in faith. That they're going to give their lives to Jesus because the word has been preached. They expect that. When I was asked, when was the last time you preached and there was a call And people responded to give their lives to God. And I couldn't answer that question. But there's an expectation in Uganda that when the word is preached, God acts and people respond. And that was my experience of being there. So there's something about it that's that's very different to hear. And I was thinking I might speak a little bit about that. <clears throat> Elisha, he was just an ordinary fellow. He, he wasn't the son of a priest. He wasn't the son of a king. Uh, he wasn't a spiritual giant. He was an ordinary, everyday guy living at home with his parents, working on the farm when God called him to do something incredible. He lived around the ninth century in a time when Israel was divided. And many people were worshipping the false god Baal. And this is the story of how God responds to, to that time when the people were being disobedient. Next week, we're going to think about dreaming big, something that lots of us don't really do. We want to dream big dreams with God. But at the same time as not dreaming big dreams, we're not always willing to start small. In the story that we're going to look at, uh, Elisha asks people to dig drainage ditches in the valley before there are any signs of water. And then uh, the following week, we're going to look at a, a widow who was utterly desperate. Maybe you're going through a difficult time and you wonder, how on earth? Am I going to make it? 
Well, this lady was just about to lose absolutely everything. But through the prophet Elisha, God met her need. But today, I want to think about the ridiculous commitment of faith that Elisha made uh, to God. In the middle of verse 19, it tells us that uh, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, there's a job that you want to avoid. Hmm? 24 dirty, smelly ox bottoms in your face every day. Not ideal. And maybe you feel a little bit like Elisha. Now, you're not looking at the wrong end of an ox every day. I don't mean that. But you're doing the same thing day in and day out. Maybe you find your work a bit monotonous and you feel as if you're in a rut. It's easy to lose your passion when all you see is the equivalent of an ox's backside. But it's important to note that he was being faithful to the task that he had been given. I believe with all my heart that God loves to reward those who are faithful in the little things. Because when you're faithful in the little things, God can trust you with the bigger things. For Elisha, God sent someone new to take him from where he was into a place of ridiculous impact. Elijah went up to him and put his cloak around him. And essentially, that's a symbolic act saying that the blessing of God that covered Elijah was now going to be on Elisha. Effectively, it's a call to Elisha to become a student of Elijah, to learn from him about God And Elijah's saying, just as God has been working through me, now he's going to work through you too. Faith is an active thing. You have to exercise faith. When you go to Uganda, they passed a law recently that said anything that you bring into the country that is over 500 pounds can be taxed. Well, in my pocket, I have a phone that's worth more than 500 pounds. In my bag, I had a laptop. In fact, I had two laptops and I had um, an iPad, all of which. Now, they're probably not going to do anything to me because I can say this is my own for my own personal use. You know, okay. But... My friend John, who invited us, we met in Dubai. And he brought two people from his church, Ian and his son Jacob. Jacob works with Mission Aviation Fellowship uh, in uh, England, and he is a fundraiser. But he was going to Uganda to see the work of Mission Aviation Fellowship in Uganda. And for those of you who don't know, they fly small planes around various countries So they can land in places that other folks can't get to. And they take missionaries and they take doctors and they take people around and they carry stuff because that's a a real ministry. It's really important. And so he was going to see that work, but he was also going to see Jenga. He was going to be there for a time with us. Ian, on the other hand, is in IT. Ian had taken a server and some routers 
He had a number of laptops. He had five or six phones. He had a whole load of stuff that was all going to go to the ministry of Jenga because they needed it all updated. And so the church in Canterbury uh, that they came from had been praying about getting through. So once you've got your visa at Entebbe, you go to the next stage, which is where you put your bags through the x-ray machine. And that's where they get you. Because they see all the stuff in your bag, and then they just pull you to the one side and say, Ah, sir, give me your money. I mean, they don't say it quite like that, but that's what they mean. So they've been praying that it would go relatively smoothly when we got to the x-ray machine. As it happened, we all kind of got through with our visas at kind of the same time, and, and that was fine. So the five of us walking towards, there were two x-ray machines, and there was no queue at the furthest away one. So we walked towards the furthest away one, and as we walked towards this machine, the lady who was operating the machine got up and walked away. And we put our bags through the machine, and we collected them at the far side, and we put them on our trolley, and we walked out the door. And as we were walking out the door, the lady came back, sat down at the machine, and the very next person through was told, just take your bag over there and open it up. Now, I know there are people who would say that was a coincidence. But I think faith is being exercised. And God hears the prayers of his people, and he answers the prayers of his people. So that was an introduction <laughs> to, to Entebbe and, and Uganda. I, I want just to point out two things uh, to you about this, this commitment, this ridiculous commitment that, that Elisha uh, has made and to see how he responds to this call of God. The first thing is this. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. When Elisha was called, he had no idea what was involved. He didn't know what was coming. It's interesting to note that he didn't ask for time to think about it. He didn't pray about it. He didn't go and do what we were I'm, I'm going to do um, some smart objectives here. I'm going to work it all out and do it. I'm going to, he didn't do that. All he did was ask for time to say goodbye. He believed it was a call from God and he acted on it immediately. I think he was able to do that because during those times of mundane, routine work, he was preparing himself spiritually and listening for God. I think God's call rarely involves details. I think God actually is often strategically sparse in his directions. I want details. I want to know everything. And I think sometimes God looks at us and says, you can't handle the details. If I give you the details, you'll never turn up. Just do what I've asked you to do this step. And I'll tell you the next step when it's time. God sometimes only uses one word. To Abraham, it was go. To Moses, it was go. To Peter, it was come. 
some of us might hear one word from God. I don't know what it would be for you, but perhaps you or someone you know is struggling health-wise, and God simply says, trust. Perhaps you're about to give up in a relationship, and God says, stay. Or maybe he says, go. And you're wondering what will happen next. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Maybe you've been hanging around the church. Maybe you've been watching us online for a while, perhaps even years. And you enjoy being part of what happens here. And perhaps God's word for you is commit. You don't need to understand fully to obey immediately. And I have to be honest, I'm speaking as someone who was dragged, kicking and screaming into ministry. Maybe that was because I knew some of the issues of being a minister. But it was still something, this is still something I have to learn to do myself. We don't need to understand fully to obey immediately. The second thing is this, those that God uses the most are often the ones that hold on to the least. Those that God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. In verse 21, it says, Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate it. And then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. In a way, you, know, you might understand killing one of the oxen as a sacrifice. Maybe two, because there's 24 of them. But to kill the lot... And then burn the plowing equipment to make a barbecue for the beef. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's as if he's saying, I'm burning plan B. There's no plan B anymore. There's only plan A. Obey God. Plan B is out the window. And then he sets out to follow Elijah. I mean, again, if I'm being honest, if my children came to me with that kind of plan... I'd be saying, well, that's great. Maybe you should keep some options open. Because <laughs> that's what we do. But that's not what he did. When we were in Uganda, I went with Yvonne, one of the Jenga volunteers. She's Dutch. And uh, she's very Dutch. And uh, sorry, apologies. Um, but I'm sure you might understand when, I, when you hear what I'm going to say about um, one of the things that they don't do in prisons or virtually anywhere in Uganda is give prisoners soap. So, so they, don't, they don't, you know, so they're in jail, but they've got no way of getting clean. So one of the things that Jenga does is take in boxes of soap so that they can... However, the problem with that is, of course, the prison is built for uh, 800 and there's 15 or 1700 people in the jail. Right? So you can see the issue. One box of soap lasts a couple of days. Gone. Yvonne says, I cannot afford to keep taking boxes of soap. And the boss, Jenga, says, take the box of soap. I'm not taking the soap. I'm not, I can't afford the soap. I'm not doing the soap. What I'm going to do is I'm going to save up and I'm going to buy a sewing machine. And I'm going to take the sewing machine into the jail so that somebody in the jail might be able to learn a trade for when they get out. And they might be able to repair the blankets and the uniforms they have because they're in tatters. So I'm not taking the soap. 
take the soap. I'm not taking the soap. Take the soap. And they have all this. And she just says, no. I'm going to buy them something that's going to last longer than the soap. So Yvonne took me uh, to uh, me and Jacob and Pastor Sam. Still never got his second name. To uh, Maluku Prison, which is in Mbali, the biggest prison in the area. And I've been in many prisons uh, in Scotland, and it's pretty much the same. You, you've got all the gates to go through and all the guards and all the other stuff. And then once you get inside, that's where it's different. Because in Uganda, they're all outside. You don't get to do that in Scotland. But they're all outside. And if we go through, I'm hearing this music and thinking, I wonder what that is. And we're wandering through. the you know, People are waving and it's all very cheery and happy and, and, and lovely. And we get through and we get closer and closer. And here is what is effectively a cow shed. So it's got a wall, a concrete wall about this height. And there are what appear to be styes in it. And it's then open and it's got a corrugated iron roof. And in this place, there are about 80 prisoners in yellow and black, very um, natty shorts and t-shirt in prison uniform. And they are just going for it. This is church. This is church in the jail. And they were singing and dancing and praying. And it was absolutely incredible. I've never experienced anything like that in my life. I mean, here they are in jail. And the joy that they had was amazing. And I'm thinking, we don't really have that on a Sunday. <laughs> never mind, never mind in the jail. That was the one time that I wasn't allowed to speak. Most of the other things you go to and they would go, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then the pastor will bring a word. <laughs> wasn't allowed to speak in the jail apart from to, to say who I was and why I was there. And they did, as they did on another occasion, which I'll tell you about next week, they did this. Tell me something that you're thankful for. I'm thinking, they're in the jail. They're in the jail. What on earth have they got to be thankful for? And then one by one, they started shouting out things that they were thankful for. And when I was speaking to Yvonne about it later, she said this, when all you have is Jesus, Jesus is all you need. When all you have is Jesus. Jesus is all you need. If I'm honest, I spent quite a lot of my time in Uganda in the verge of tears. Because it's really challenging. You know, I get so... <laughs> I took my watch and I forgot the charger. 
How liberating is it to go, oh well, there's no point in having that. It didn't matter. Here I would get really annoyed if I didn't have the charger. We get worried and worked up about, about things that just don't matter. And when you get to a place like Uganda and the jail, that's when you come face to face with what actually matters. And it's not the stuff that bothers me. What we see in the Bible is that people are often so sure of their call that they do ridiculous things to follow God. Peter was having a bad day at work when Jesus came up and told him to throw his nets again on the other side of the boat. And he did it. And he caught so many fish that the nets started to break. And then Jesus said, follow me. And Peter had his burn the plows and cook the cows moment. We're told he left everything and followed Jesus. Now think about that for yourself. God says... Leave your job. Oh, wait, I'm not trained for this. Leave my job, won't you? Oh, I don't know about that. Leave my house, my family, my neighborhood, my church. They left everything. It may be that there is someone here or someone watching online and God is going to give you a plow-burning faith. You know that you're called by God and now you need to take steps of faith to follow. Some of you have already experienced that. There are some times when we are so convinced that we burn the bridge and there's no going back. You can't go back because God is calling you forward. And perhaps today or maybe later this week or later this year, God is going to give some of you a plow-burning faith that deep within you, you realize that you're willing to do whatever it takes to be obedient to him and go with him to the place he's calling you. In Uganda, they quite often ask you to participate. I'm going to ask you to do that now, just briefly. Will you turn to the person next to you, or behind you, or around you, and say to them, maybe you need to burn a plow. You know, maybe you need to burn a plow. When God calls, you might find that you have a plow to burn. But And if that's you, don't let anything keep you from following. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And don't hold on to things too tightly. Because those that God uses the most, hold on to the least. You might be looking at, the near end of an ox today. But in your faithfulness, God has plans and purposes that you might not have realized yet. And he's just longing for you to follow. Amen.